0: Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for Worship the Word and Fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. So turn to First Peter. All right, First Peter, we're going to continue chapter 1. Um, we talked a little bit about... Uh, the elect, the, those who are elect exiles, um, last week. So if you need to know about election or predestination, refer to the last week's sermon. But I kind of wanted to start with this. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in 2004, there was a book that was released titled Your Best Life Now. Do you guys remember that one? I'm not going to tell you who to buy because you probably already know. But this was, this book was huge. It was popular. It filled the Christian bookstore shelves, and it was quickly a bestseller, uh, specifically within the religious realm. Um, And I kind of looked at it a little bit. I didn't read the whole thing, just looked into it a little bit. And page five, it said, God wants this to be the best time of your life. It's page five, okay? And in another page, it says, happy, successful, fulfilled individuals have learned how to live their best life now. Okay? And then in another page, it says, As you put the principles found in these pages to work today, you will begin living your best life now. Now, that probably all sounds great. And I'm going to say this to you. All of this is absolutely true. If you're not a Christian. okay? so you can actually live your best life now in here if you're not a Christian. Otherwise, if you are a Christian, the Bible says otherwise. And we'll dive a little bit into that. So what's next for the non-Christian? That the fact is that this really is the best life because otherwise you will you know, end this life and go into a perpetual state of dying with no hope, no satisfaction, no meaning, no joy, no future, no relief from eternal suffering. That's literally the worst life possible, don't you think? And so if that's the worst life possible, then this life is not so bad at all. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, there's something better ahead of us, isn't there? So on the other hand, if you're a child of God and your sins are forgiven, you have something more to look ahead. This is not your best life. This is probably going to be the worst one, right? You got two, you know. Uh, The Bible says that every man is appointed to die one time, right? and then is eternity. And so this is an interesting uh, matter of fact, because a lot of people think, okay, the Lord wants uh, me to be very successful and very happy and very fulfilled with the things of this world. And that may or may not be the case, but I'll tell you one thing, God doesn't promise that to people. Does that mean that that's out of hand and that's does that mean that's something that it's evil for us to achieve here in in this world? No, not necessarily. But that's not what the Lord promises in in the scriptures. In fact, what he promises is um, a hard time trials and tribulations and that sort of things. But here's the thing, though, what he also promises for us is an inheritance. It's ahead of us. It's something that we have not yet experienced. It's something that we can't comprehend because, let me, look, let me show you what 1 Corinthians 2.9 uh, says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, we can't even fathom, it's unfathomable to know what exactly the Lord is preparing for those who love him and for those who trust him. And so contrary to what's popular today, and even in some Christian circles, the Lord does not promise you here and now a full, happy, rich, satisfying, trouble-free life of wealth, health, and success. Although all of those things sound very good, don't they? But here's the thing, though. He does promise these things later in eternity, but not now. And the reason why I'm opening up with this is because Peter really goes into this. And so last week we kind of set the stage a little bit with uh, election. And what does it mean to be elect? It means that you have a reservation in heaven. That literally is what it means. Your name's already there, you got room there, you're good, right? You're good to go there. But it's not, it doesn't end there. It's not just like, you know what, let me put my reservation in there and then I'll be good to go. There's more that comes after that as well. But I don't want us to be deceived by what's popular culture. I don't want us to be deceived in thinking that we can pray this success, these, these, these earthly victories into our lives because the Bible said so, you know. I just don't want you to think that because the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, it says the contrary, and so we'll dive into that a little bit more. So let's look into uh, 1 Peter. We're going to go chapter 1 from verse 3 through 12. Let's read it together. It says this, And you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long look. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, help us understand it, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us to receive it, Father. And also, we ask that we would just not listen to it, hear it, Father, understand it, but that we would be well-equipped to do it and to live it out, that others may come to know you as well. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 And so, as we roll through this passage, i like to break it up into three different sections. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, I see three things here. Me, okay. When you go back and do your personal Bible study, you might see something different. But the way I want to break it up today is... First, the assurance of faith and promise. So I see that in verse 3 to 5, the assurance of faith and promise. The next thing we'll look at is the assurance of trial. And then finally, we close it up with the assurance of glory, which is pretty much just a backup to the first point, to the assurance of faith and promise. And so let's start with the assurance of faith and promise, verses 3 to 5. It says, um, first of all, before I read it, what I want to point out is the fact that this, this, this first section here, verse 3 to 5, is something we call a doxology. A, do, a doxology is a hymn or praise. Have you heard of that word? Maybe you've heard the word, but you haven't heard it defined, or you're not quite sure what it means. Doxology is when we lift up praises or acknowledgement to, to the Lord, and so we express it. We express it because of his goodness, because of his grace, and there's nothing else to do but to say thank you and to just acknowledge that. That's what we call a doxology, usually in a form of a hymn. And so we sing doxologies. Doxologies, for the most part, are propelled by theology. Okay, Brandon, you're using very fancy words. What is theology? Theology is the knowledge of God. That's all it is. And so what I say is our doxology, our praises and our acknowledgement of God is propelled by our theology, meaning how we understand God. So you'll see that the more we learn of God, the more we understand God, the more we want to talk about him, the more we want to acknowledge him and the more we want to just sing to him. That's how it works. Right. It's hard to sing to a God that we just don't know, isn't it? It's like we read the words and we're thinking, wow, this sounds like a love song or this sounds like something that I don't necessarily mean. But as we have this experience with the Lord, as we begin to understand him and know him, then an outflow you know, of our appreciation, gratitude and the love begins to come out. And therefore a doxology. And so this is what Peter is doing right now. He's expressing this this form of thanksgiving by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. What does this mean? This refers to the new life. That is, that, is, uh, that is only possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to be born again means to be saved. So blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because through him there's salvation, is what he says, and only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we see that at the end of verse 3. Now, the rebirth is an accomplishment by Jesus' resurrection for the dead or from the dead. So here's the thing. Jesus, we know, was an awesome, incredible human being here on this world, right? Let's, let's say, which this is a matter of fact, he was conceived by, 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 by the Holy Spirit, okay, virgin birth. He grew up perfect, sinless. And righteous, right? He was an absolute example of what it means to be holy. Never sins and and walks perfectly as a good example. And then he goes and he's actually qualified to take on our sin as the atoning Lamb of God. Let's say everything so far so good, yes? And then he dies and he's put in the grave, okay? If Jesus did not raise from the dead, all of that would have just simply been a legacy. Just something that we could go and, and look back on and say, wow, that man was incredible. And we say these things about so many people. We say these things even about Peter, right? Wow, that guy was just incredible. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus didn't stay dead because death couldn't overcome it. It had no power over him. What makes all of it worth our while is the fact that on the third day, he he just burst out. He burst out of the grave and he was alive and he had several witnesses see him. So it is through that fact, the resurrection, that there is hope. We call that the living hope. It's not just that there's hope for the future. No, these guys literally saw a living Christ. And this is what Peter is referring to. Remember, Peter is a first hand witness to the resurrected Jesus. And so when he saw that, he just he was overwhelmed. We read this in Luke and we read this in John and the Gospels. We see Peter and John's reaction to the resurrected Jesus. And so he's calling it a living hope, a living hope that we that the fact that because of Jesus, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. And that's past tense right there. We have been sent. Saved from the penalty of their sin, which means justified, that his righteousness has been counted on to us and our sin was put on to him. And that presently that we're being saved from the power of sin and then future that we will be saved from the presence of sin. So let me say that again. Past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Present, we're being saved from the power of sin. And future, we will be saved from the presence of sin. We're not there yet. Obviously, there's sin all around us, right? And so that's the living hope that we have because of the resurrection. The promise here that we see here, this living hope, is to the elect, is to those who we, we, we referred to back in uh, verse 1 through 2, right? Um, to those who are predestined for salvation. And so what is it that we have been promised is an inheritance. You guys know what an inheritance, inheritance is, right? That is is a hard word for me to say. Inheritance. It's something that we wait for, you know? Sometimes we expect our inheritance. So, for example, I know that my mom has some estate and she's got some land somewhere. And I know that maybe one day we may or may not inherit it. Who knows? All right? Here's the thing, though. That comes in its due time. All right? That comes when my parents either pass or they hand it over. That's something that you know is coming, but it's not necessarily yours yet, is it? And so you can't say, hey, mom, I've been praying in the name of Jesus that all of this it's due to me should hit me now. We can't say that. We don't have that authority that's been promised to us, but in its time. And that's what Peter's referring to. Now, there's a lot to look forward to. Okay? there are some promises that we see in Scripture, but for its time. And then Peter uses the word inheritance, which means, yeah, it's yours. Yes, it's a promise, but not right now. Hang on. Right now, you have something else that's also been promised, and you're not necessarily going to like it, but it's going to be good for you. All right. And so that's, that's what he's uh, referring to, that inheritance. And it's kept in heaven, not kept here on this earth, not for this life. It is kept in heaven. That is very interesting. So I can't just demand that right now like, a, uh, like an entitled child, right? You know how a, a prince, when he is young and his father reigns a kingdom? Uh, did you ever watch The Lion King? There's a song that says, oh, I just can't wait to be king. And he does this whole spiel on how he's going to be an awesome king, right? See, a young pr- prince can, can never fathom the weight of what it is to receive that kind of inheritance that young prince could never fathom what it's like to be responsible for so much right and so what would be the worst thing to do for that young prince is to give him that inheritance here and now it's something that we grow into it's something that we're sanctified right i'm I'm switching here we're sanctified into this place this promise that god has for us but the promise is not necessarily for here and now does that mean that we can't Have some kind of, uh, let's say, prosperity here? No, that doesn't mean that we can't do that necessarily. It's just not promised. That could be God's grace for us. Do you follow? And so he goes on. We have this inheritance that is imperishable, meaning it's everlasting. It's undefiled. That means nobody could taint it. It can't go bad. And it's unfading. It's permanent. And it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, it's being guarded now, that to me is, is very encouraging. It's very good to know. Okay, this is, this is safe. It's even safer than my cash in the bank right now. It's being guarded uh, through faith for a salvation. And here's the underlined word, ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so that means not here, not now. The promise is not for this life, but it is guaranteed for the future. Now, the next section that we're going to roll into is the assurance of trial. And so see what Peter's doing is he's encouraging the the listener, the reader. He's saying, hey, there's something to look forward to. Okay, but but it's not coming yet. Just hang on because what is coming. And this is the assurance of trial verses six through nine. What is coming is this is it says in verse six in this you rejoice. What we rejoice is in the fact that we have promises ahead for us, because though now for a little while, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, how many of us have been grieved by various trials? Yes, we have things that we're going through. We're all going through stuff and it's hard stuff. All right. But let me tell you something. Let's let's kind of go back to this context. Who is Peter talking to? He's talking to the exiled elect, the people who are not home right now. They're being persecuted. They're literally being persecuted. They're being killed. All right. So our trials, i hate to break it to you, but they're not that big of a deal compared to these guys. Okay? Like for me, the biggest trial that i'm dealing with right now is it is hot in here. <laughs> all right? That is nothing compared to what these folks are going through. You know how many times i complain when my ac's not working well? You know? You know how many times i complain because my car seat just bothers my back? You know how many times I complain just because there's just a little problem here and there, and it's just annoying. It's more of an irritant than anything else. It's not an actual problem. What do we call those first world problems? You know, these people were literally being persecuted. They were being chased. They were being followed. They were being pulled from their families. They were being tortured. They were being killed. Why? Because of their faith. And so this this does it, makes, it kind of helps put things into perspective. Okay. We don't understand what this trial means. So therefore, if they're going through this, maybe I can kind of hang in there a little bit. I mean, that's the way I see it, at least. He says, though, for a little while, though. Now, the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing, oh, my goodness, life is going fast, right? Like, as my kids start growing up, I'm realizing, what's going on? I was just in high school the other year, you know? That's how I feel about it and i mean those for those of you who are older than me you probably are thinking yeah you have no idea what you're talking about brandon wait until you're like in your 50s 60s, 70s you'll see how short life is this is just temporary why because if you compare what a lifetime is what's a lifetime 80 100 years max let's say that's a good life isn't it compare that to eternity how long does this life look It gets smaller and smaller the more you fathom or the more you're able to uh, try to think about what eternity looks like, right? Uh, Someone used a little object lesson before to kind of help me understand what eternity was. He had a spool of yarn, and at the very tip of yarn, it it was coated black, and he said, this is our lifetime, all right? Everything else is eternity, and it keeps going. I just don't have enough of it. Wow, that's a very long time, right? So this is truly a little while. So if we have various trials, and if we're uh, pressured by these tribulations and these persecutions, let's say, this inconveniences even, this is nothing compared to what we are actually promised, and it'll last forever. Isn't that encouraging? But here's the thing, though, is we do have the assurance of trial. And it says, um, <coughs> while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, Perishes though it is tested by fire. So there we have an uh, uh, imagery there. You know that gold is tested by fire. It's purified by going through the flames, right? But while I was studying for this, I'm reading that this meant a lot more to the reader, to the person who was receiving this, because this was under the time of the reign of Nero. Do you know what Nero did with Christians? Any idea? He would use them to light the streets, and he would burn them. And so when that readers listening to this, they're not thinking of precious metals, they're thinking of literally seeing their brothers and sisters hanging on lighting up the streets as torches. Consider that being tested by fire. Right. Doesn't it help to bring things into perspective? It's like, wow, there's things could be a lot worse for us. We're blessed. We're blessed people, aren't we? And so this is more precious, this faith that is built up, even though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. When we see Christ face to face, I promise you, everything that you're suffering right now, everything that you're dealing with right now, everything that you wish would just be fixed, when you see Jesus face to face, you're not even going to remember any of that. All of that is just going to fade. It's just going to be right, right in the past, Right? You're going to be amazed to see Christ face to face and you're going to just, your jaw's going to drop and you're going to say, thank you that I can actually behold you, right? And so I just have that image of Peter, like as soon as he saw the resurrected Jesus, he couldn't wait to dock that boat. He just went all out. He got into the water and he rushed to meet him because that's what it meant to him. And this is what we're who we're reading from. This is someone who understands to behold Christ. Right. And this is the promise that we have. But it's also important for us to understand, hey, there are going to be trials. There are going to be hard seasons in life. But hang on. Hang on. Once this is all over, it's going to be so great. You're, it's just a promise, and it's a guarantee. You can count on that. And it says here, and I love this, and this is Peter saying, though you have not seen him, you love him, don't you? We haven't seen him face to face. I haven't, but I can tell you I love the Lord. And though you, do, you, um, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is how we should long for the future. This is how we should long for the promises ahead. Though we have not seen it, we know that it's there. Just like we love Jesus. Though we have not seen him like you and I are looking at each other, we still love him, don't we? We still trust him. We still hope in him. And so in that same way, hope for what's ahead. There's a promise there that we need to grab, grab a hold of. And then finally, what we see here is uh, the assurance of glory. And again, this this just backs up that promise that we have there. And I love this. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. What does that mean, inquired carefully? This describes the trustworthy nature of the Old Testament prophets prediction of salvation so these old testament prophets kept hearing from the lord and some of them knew that they would not see the christ in their time but they kept predicting the salvation that would come through the christ and how it would be possible for not just the jews but for the gentiles as well so unless you're of jewish lineage you're a gentile all right and Christ made it possible for us to be adopted as sons and daughters as well into the kingdom of God. And so these prophets inquired carefully. They were longing to see who the Christ would be. And I'm going to give you a cool, like, quick little example here in Luke chapter 2. Let's go there, if you, if you will. Um, in Luke chapter 2, this is right after the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple to be presented and to be dedicated to the Lord, which was a custom for the firstborn, you know. And so he was taken to the temple. But look at this beautiful, beautiful uh, instance here. It's, um, well, let me get there. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Waiting for the Christ of Israel, the salvation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon this man. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how many people longed to see the Lord's Christ, and this particular man was promised to see him before he would die. And so verse 27 says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, another doxology, guys. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people in Israel. Can you just imagine being this man? Now, this is a priest, by the way. He's out there doing the thing in the temple, right? And Jesus is brought to him. And by the Holy Spirit, he knew that's him. That's the Christ. God, the Lord promised me that I wouldn't die before seeing the actual Christ. And if you can just imagine him holding a baby, like this is it. This is the salvation of our souls right here. Isn't that amazing? you just imagine, imagine that? And he says, thank you, Lord. Like this is it for the Gentiles and for our home, our, our, our home people, our, our Jews. You know, this is your salvation. Wow. Let's just say salvation is going to come from this baby. And just to show you, just to give you a little glimpse of how the prophets inquired constantly, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? They all longed to know the Christ. They all waited for him. They all just just really, uh, with all their hearts, wanted to know him. And they just looked ahead to him. That's all they could do in their time. And some of them knew that. And so let's go back to 1 Peter. And so... They inquired carefully, verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, or they were serving not themselves, but you. How were these prophets serving not themselves, but you? See, every prophet pointed towards the one who would bring justice and redemption to God's elect so what they have written about christ helps us validate all that christ is and how we ought to respond to him see they knew exactly what the christ would look like and so by writing that down by professing it they served us and so when the christ came we said yep 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 checks out yep checks out yep this is him see how that served us and not necessarily them And likewise, we can do the same. We can pass that forward by pointing people, others to the Christ and meaning, hey, this is the reason why Jesus is legit. You know, we want to get to the point where we're able to do that. We want to get to the point where we can share that with others confidently and boldly. And so they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news. And here's the good news of salvation is what they're referring to. And I think this is beautiful See, the prophets sought and they looked forward and what now has been revealed. Salvation in Christ is so great, the blessings are so tremendous, that the angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. It's as if all the angels are curious about the matters of grace. See, angels are not people of free, you know, they, they, they're subject to the Lord. They're not free. They're, they, they're messengers of the Lord. They do what the Lord commands, and, and that's what they are. They're not people. And so it's almost as if, wow, I wonder what grace is like. If you can just imagine. We take for granted what grace is, right? And we see how beautiful that the resurrection and just Christ itself is, himself is. And let's not do that. Let's not take it for granted. And so what do we do about this? So how does this apply to us? We see that there's a promise for us, a good one. We like it. There's also a promise one we don't like it because it's about trial and heartache. Right. And then there's this glory that comes after the fact and the the glory is Christ alone. You know, so what do we do about this? What are our takeaways here? Let's take a look at that. It says for Christians, this is my first takeaway. For Christians, our best life is not here and now. Okay. so if you're waiting for that, good luck, I guess, you know, but your best life is not here and it is not now. It is ahead, but it is also certain for you. Therefore, do not make the focus of your lives all about earthly gains, successes and prosperity, because that's not what God has promised for here now, but he has promised for its time, right? So just stand firm for now. Just hang in there. Hang in there because there's an inheritance that's to come to you. And it's just around the corner. This life is so brief compared to eternity. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Let's see what Paul says there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, through, actually through 4 and 1. It says, For many of whom I have often told you and I'll tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. See, these are people who focused more on acquiring things and riches here, and it says, and the glory and, and they and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, that's where we belong, guys. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's a promise ahead. Stand firm. All right. So our best life is still ahead of us. Isn't that, isn't that a good thing to know? That's, that should be encouraging for us to know. Takeaway number two. The hardships that come with living in this world are only temporary. Don't give up. It'll pay off. Now, um, I used to be a football player back in high school. And um, I joined the team. I had to tr- transfer schools from one to another my, my junior year. And in my junior year, um, I had to do something called Hell Week for the very first time ever. Any football players here? Did you ever do that? Hell Week? OK, that sounds bad, right? And I remember going into this, and what it was, it was Monday through Friday, four practices a day, not including a morning six-mile run. And you had to wake up at 4 a.m. The first night, it wasn't so bad because you were fresh, right? After your six-mile run, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then you have practice in the morning. Then you have a practice in the evening. And then there's another practice. And it's like so many, so many practices. By Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 4 a.m. comes. You literally don't know how you're going to get up. Your body is just shot out. You're feeling like I don't know why I'm doing this. This isn't fun. Like isn't the game of football supposed to be a game that's fun? You know, during this time, you're aching and you can't get yourself up. I hate to be crude, but you couldn't even go to the restroom. That's how bad it was, okay? Like your body's just hurting. Your body's in constant ache and turmoil. And you're thinking, why am I destroying my body doing these kind of things? And once you get going, though, once the practice has started going, you, you get into the game and you get going and you're encouraged and your coaches tell you what you need to hear and you get going. And by the end of it, you don't know, okay, I'm quitting. I'm done. And the coaches say, guys, we have a very small team this year. Some of you guys have to play both ways. That means office and defense. If you know anything about the game of football, that's brutal. Okay, That's brutal to have to play for or both ways. And so what they were doing is they were building us up. They were putting us through the worst punishment so that our bodies and our, uh, our, our uh, let's say, our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our disposition or what? endurance would yeah would grow and would be strong so that when we meet the adversary we would have enough to be able to go and at least finish the game but the coaches didn't want us to just finish the game they wanted us to win and to win a championship i promise you that was my first year in school and i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna show you something i didn't grab it so i'm gonna grab it right now and so that year i'm thinking there's no way we have to play both ways well we played and we played both ways. And look what I got that year. It used to be shiny. That that year we won a championship. And I'm thinking, well, this is cool. Right? And it's more like, I look at it now, I'm thinking, this is not that cool anymore, you know? <laughs> but but when we were there and when we were winning, and I remember that championship game, we, we had enough stamina in our in us we had enough strength, we had enough endurance, even though some of us had to play both ways, right? Office and defense, we could win. And in the same way, we just need to stand, like like, like Peter says, hey, just hang on. These trials are gonna help us grow and be strong. They're gonna help us achieve a prize that's ahead of you that you can't even fathom. Guys, when I was in football, and when I first was given this ring, I thought, this is stupid big. like. Am I when am I gonna wear this? Right? It doesn't even fit my finger anymore. But it was it was just the coolest thing. I couldn't I couldn't even imagine this. To me, it was unreal. And people are taking pictures of us and people were giving us special treatment. We're thinking we just played a game of football, right? But I go back and think of that hell week. I go back and think of the time that we were put through the grinder for the sake of coming ahead, right? And so it was so important for us to be encouraged and for us to be reminded, hey, we could do this. There's something that's so worth it, right? And today I go to my high school gym, we're there. We're all on the wall and we're there. And that's the only championship that they've ever won. And so I I just was reminded, wow, it's worth it. Sometimes we can't imagine what's ahead, but it's worth going through the trouble, through the ache, through the physical pain sometimes to be able to achieve that. And our final takeaway, actually, yeah, our final takeaway. Takeaway number three, like Peter, having understood the outcome of our salvation, let's encourage those who are struggling under under trial. You see, Peter understood this. We looked a little bit into the life of Peter last week. He didn't have an easy road, (laughs) all right? He messed up a few times, and God showed him constant mercy and grace. And so what he's doing now, he's encouraging those who are going through it as well. And he himself understood, too, the struggle of this life. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all so let's do that as well. Okay. Let's get into each other's lives. Let's encourage one another. If, if that person's idle, what does that mean? That person's not doing anything. Let's encourage them. Let's, let's stir them up for the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord has called us to. Why? Because there's a promise ahead, right? And so this is where we're going to end today. And the rest of first Peter, we looked into, okay, here are the promises, good promises. Not so good promises, but great promises all in all, right? Now what? Well, now we get up and we do. And so the rest of 1 Peter is, okay, what are we supposed to do about this? It gets really practical from here on out and challenging. So I challenge you to be challenged by this word. If you can, go and read the entire letter of 1 Peter. Let's end there. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We love you. We praise you. Ah. We thank you, Lord, for the examples that we have and the encouragement that we're able to receive Jesus. And, Lord, we're reminded that this world, it just sucks. There's no other way to say it. There's stuff here that we don't like to go through. There's stuff here that, man, really just tested us and it puts us through the grinder. There's, there's, there's things that are going on here, either relationally, socially, financially, emotionally. There's so many things, Father, that just bog us down. We ask, Father, that you would be our strength, that you would be our wisdom and that you would help us remember what's ahead that you would help us remember the promises that you have stored for that you are keeping for us safe and soundly lord jesus for its time we just ask that you would help us persevere that you would help us stand firm father that we not get knocked out lord jesus but that we could also help our brothers and our sisters who need it lord and lord allow us to see their kingdom expand here on earth in tucson lord jesus thank you for the privilege that it is to be together in harmony. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.